Welcome to the Betrayal Trauma SOS Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brockbank, and I share my experiences of betrayal and healing so that others can find their own recovery fit. Today, I'm doing a Q&A with submitted questions. I'll answer your questions about raising sex addiction resistant children, my own recovery, what to do when your spouse won't admit that they have a problem, dealing with shame, and more. Let's heal together. Welcome. I want to begin by letting you know that this isn't therapy and I'm not a therapist. I highly recommend obtaining professional advice in your situation. I so appreciate all of the questions submitted. Truly grateful. I look forward to getting to most of them, but I can tell that I won't be able to get to all of them. So I'll likely do another Q&A sometime later, maybe reach out individually or create an episode around individual questions. My normal process for the Betrayal Trauma SOS episodes include lots of prayer and pondering throughout the week. I spend a lot of time writing a script and finding the best resources to share. But as I prayed about this episode, I could feel guided that for the most part, this will be you, me, heaven, and a microphone. Not many notes, not much of a script to read off of. So dear friend, I invite you to imagine you're sitting in my living room and we're having a conversation, and I will do the same and imagine you as I speak. The sources that I do have will be at the end of the episode description and at betrayaltraumasos.com. All right, let's just jump in with the first question, and it's this. Hello, just curious if you are still with the betrayer. I really appreciate this question because I have not addressed um, my personal story. I give a little bit of um, personal experience as I speak and things and share, but I haven't shared a lot of my personal story lately. And so, yeah, I am still with my husband and we lived in some pretty rough times, I would say, for about 17 and a half years. It was very volatile. It was hard. I had no idea for the most part what I was dealing with. Um, I didn't understand really until our, our formal disclosure how bad things were and how severe it was. Um, what I had to come to see was that in my own personal belief system, I believe strongly in the sanctity of marriage. Um, for, for our religion, I made covenants with my husband to be sealed, we believe, for time and all eternity, so not just here on this earth. And I take those covenants incredibly seriously, and it really held me up from making any kind of a boundary or anything like that. And I didn't understand God uses boundaries. It's not bad. And additionally, what I had was not the kind of marriage that I wanted to endure, you know, to live um, with in the next life. It would have been hell. Like, who wants to live in heaven, but live in your own personal hell. And additionally, I I am not my husband's judge, but in his state, I have no idea if God would have let him into heaven under those circumstances because of the double life that he was living and things like that. So anyways, those beliefs really held me up from even considering divorce. Um, but I did have to come to a decision that I was worth not being treated in such a way. And I needed my own recovery. And when I grasped on to my own recovery 
and I learned about boundaries and that uh, I strongly believe that I am of great value to my God. And he does not want any of his children treated like I was being treated. And so my husband then had to make a decision because I learned about boundaries and how to set them and how to basically give myself safety. I am very, very, very thankful that my husband chose his own recovery because I wouldn't be married today. And I don't actually think that that would be bad on my part. A marriage takes two people. And when somebody's living in active addiction, the problem is they do all sorts of things to hide that so often. And they live this dishonest second life. And in the process, then they they do things like emotional abuse. And part of the emotional abuse is not allowing you to know your truth. And then and then like my husband would make me feel crazy. Like in order to protect himself, I had to be the crazy one, right? So when I would say something's not right, something's wrong, I, I feel like it's off and I've been praying and this is what God says and it's off and and he would say, Oh, I don't know why. Yeah, it's fine. I'm I'm doing great. That's not true. And so then it would make me question my relationship with God and who I was exactly and the key came when I could see exactly what he was like in addiction. And when he was in active addiction, without him even telling me, I could then protect myself and call him on it, if that makes sense. I do want to add something, though. Some of the most beautiful, admirable marriages that I have seen are those of people who have struggled significantly obtained a whole bunch of tools, faced themselves in the mirror, and gotten the help that they need. And so at the top of the list of marriages that I admire are people who are working a strong recovery from addiction and betrayal trauma. I'm really happy to say that I do have a taste of what that's like. I wouldn't say we've arrived there, but what I I do have is hope that our marriage could become more beautiful than if we had not gone through these hard trials. That makes sense. More beautiful than if life had just been easygoing and just kind of sailed through. And honestly, when my husband is in very good recovery, he is one of the most wonderful people I have ever met. He's gentle. He's kind. He's funny. He's fun to be around. He's joyful. Um, he is just a delight. So I guess that what I'm saying is this, for me in my situation, I am glad that I held on. I know that not everyone who struggles with addiction grasps onto their own recovery. And I don't know why I am blessed to have that gift, but I am very, very thankful for it. But it is not me. It is totally my husband's decision as to whether or not he is going to live in active recovery. And it's totally my decision that is really, really important to me that he does live in active recovery or I will have to make other decisions. Okay, the next question. Where do I draw the line of staying with my husband? Isn't that a good question? And it's so individual in nature. That's the trick. I can say in my case that where I draw the line is if he is actually working recovery because I've decided that there are some things that I will just not do anymore. I won't live a, this double life and 
I won't live in active addiction. I'm not saying that my husband can never mess up or never slip, but I do expect honesty and I do expect to be in on his inner world, so to speak. Something that was really helpful for me in deciding this was in my group therapy program that I participated in, we created bottom lines. And so what that is, is bottom line, I won't live this way and I won't tolerate this kind of behavior and I won't allow this to be part of my life. We can't change what they're doing. We can't say you could never look at porn again, although that sounds so wonderful, right? <laughs> but what what we can say is if this happens and you actively engage in addiction, then I'm going to readdress what I need for safety and you might have some ideas of what you will do. Um, all boundaries to be to me should be made completely with God. That is like between us and God. And so I would never tell somebody leave or get divorced or stay or anything like that because I do honor that people have their own path to make and their own choices to make with God. I will say that that like I was saying earlier, that the thought of divorce really held me back from making some boundaries that I needed to make. And this was very helpful for me. And so I will read this. This is a quote from a talk by Dallin H. Oaks. And this is in a step eight of the Addiction Recovery Program Family Support side. And it says this, quote, We know that many of you are innocent victims, members whose former spouses persistently betrayed sacred covenants or abandoned or refused to perform marriage responsibilities for an extended period. Members who have experienced such abuse have firsthand knowledge of circumstances worse than divorce. When a marriage is dead and beyond hope of resuscitation, it is needful to have a means to end it. Close quote. And I appreciated that because at least it was an option that I didn't have to stay in such pain all the time. And I'm so grateful that my husband has made these choices to stay in recovery and to work that. But it was also relieving to know that I didn't have to live in an abusive state. Next question is, I feel so stressed out not knowing if my husband is being honest with me or not. How do I know if I can trust him? I wish so badly that I could give you a short answer on this, um, but this to me takes a lot of work to figure this out. This took me a really long time to figure out if I could trust my husband or not. And the reason is when, when we're in trauma, at least for me, um, and from the book, The Body Keeps the Score, he talks about how we dissociate from ourselves. And it's kind of like this protective mechanism. And it's, we can go through life functioning at not our highest level, of course, but sometimes that overwhelm comes and we have this protection come in where we're not feeling the things that we need to feel. And what happens is we become disconnected from our bodies and from our emotions. And then it's a very hard thing to figure out what we're actually feeling. So the podcast that I have so far, there's actually an order to them. And it's the order that I needed to heal, basically. I would suggest to go through and listen to some of those and to stay in order as much as possible. There's one um, that's specifically for church leaders. 
So if you're not a church leader and that doesn't apply to you and it wouldn't be validating to you or something, um, that probably is not part of something that you would need. But for the most part, they're in an order, if that makes sense. And one of the first things that we need to do is figure out what we like. We need to figure out what we're feeling exactly. Um, Check-ins are really important for this. When we become more in tune with ourselves, then we become more in tune with then what we need. And then we can become more in tune also with what our spouse looks like in active addiction. And that's relieving because then our intuition is strengthened and we can make boundaries based on our gut instead of just based on fact. I do know that some people have found great uh, success with their spouses. As part of their disclosure process, they actually go use a lie detector test. And I think this is an interesting way to do this. My husband and I, we didn't do this, but I'm not actually saying it's bad because the problem is those who are in active addiction uh, are struggling so badly with honesty. And that is like the root of what is going on is they cannot seem to be honest and the shame is keeping them back and their desire to keep their addiction, you know, that's part of it. And so if they're willing to go do a lie detector test, and very few therapists do offer that, but a lie detector test for some couples really might be a good option. I think for me in my situation that the biggest thing was coming to really understand what my husband was like in active addiction. What did that look like for him? Because it's different for my husband than anyone else's. And so that's the trick. It's not like, here's this list of what they look like in active addiction. It's like, here's this list of what my husband looks like in active addiction. And it will likely look different than other people's spouses, if that makes sense. Okay, next question. Will I ever recover from the trauma? I love this question because I actually asked this of Heavenly Father recently in my prayer. And it was funny because I don't know that I was actually asking. What I I did was I was like, frustrated because I kept being hijacked by very severe trauma. And this was just a couple months ago. And I remember kneeling down in prayer and saying, I think what I'm having to, to come to terms with is that this is my life and this is what it's going to be like for now. And that this is what it's going to be like until, you know, in the next life when I'm resurrected or whatever. And I had this strong impression that I was wrong. I appreciated it greatly. So this is my own thoughts, my own revelation. And so take it for what it's worth and and see if this fits you or not. But in my case, what I came to decide was that as I thought about will I ever heal from the trauma, that I was limiting the power of my God. I believe in a God who raises people from the dead. You know, I believe in a God who heals sight. I believe in a God who parted the Red Sea. I believe in a God who can feed 5,000 from very little. That's my God. So why can he not heal me? And I do believe that he can. So that's my spiritual take on that. My physical take on that is I do receive healing from trauma the more I practice healthy habits. What happens is our brains are wired when, they're, when we're in a trauma state to do these unhealthy things or, or to misfire, basically, and say, you are in mortal danger and to make us feel like we need to run. But the more that 
I can self self soothe, um, the more that I can convince my body that you're safe, you're okay, and rewire it to do some good things. Something very helpful in my own recovery has been things that that help me to be still and to be in tune with my body. So things like yoga and mindfulness and meditation. In fact, there's science behind yoga that it helps us in this way. It's crazy. And they're just coming out with it. And they're finding fascinating things in regards to yoga. In fact, later um, in a future episode, I do have a yoga expert lined up to teach us more about that. So I'm excited about it. I hope you'll join us. So will you ever recover from the trauma? I believe that it's possible. I can't say in every case that this person will or that that's God's will, but I absolutely believe that it's possible and that there's value in the journey to get there. Okay, next question. Someone asked, how do I keep myself from running? And so when they say running, I assume that what they're talking about is a trauma response. And so there's fight, flight, or freeze. And for for me, I have had occasionally the strong, like, flight, right? That would be running. I think my favorite presentation on this subject was done at UCAP, that's Utah Coalition Against Pornography, by Sherry Christensen. And she does a really fantastic job of explaining what happens and what you do when you're feeling this kind of trauma. Her suggestion is when that really severe first, you know, trauma hits, that you do whatever your body is saying to soothe it. Of course, if something is self-destructive in nature, that would not be a good option. However, she gives the example of someone who was not in great shape, but had just found out some horrific news. And she said that she didn't know what to do, but she just knew that her body wanted to run. And I think she ran, if I remember correctly, like six miles. Here she was out of shape, hadn't run in quite a while, but she'd heard this news and that's what she wanted to do. And the thing was, the trauma did run its course through her body significantly faster. So if your body is saying, I need food, you know, feed it. What, what does your body say that you're needing and how can you honor that when you're in a really severe state? So I guess what I'm saying is, I don't know that you need to keep yourself from running. Um, I think that we honor ourselves in that, how are we keeping ourselves safe? What do we need to do to stay safe? The trick comes, though, in that it's like a pendulum. can go too far one way or too far another way. So once we've honored that and say, you know, run our six miles or, or whatever, or gotten the space that we needed somehow, what do we do to set boundaries so that we can reintegrate in a safe way to come back if that's a good fit? And maybe it's not. But basically, the goal is to not keep running. Um, it's eventually to reintegrate with whatever knowledge that we now have into incorporating our new reality into our lives. Okay, next question. Hi, Jenny. I have a question for you. How do you raise sex addiction resistant children? I think about having kids and I worry about them suffering from the same demons that my husband does. I worry about them picking up not safe emotional habits as well. Okay, I want to say that this, I love this question 
so very much. I will briefly answer this question, but I love it so much that I'm going to do a full episode on it next week. And I think that that this person um, hit the nail on the head with the last sentence, which was, I worry about them picking up not safe emotional habits as well. Because addiction is, at its roots, a problem with connection. So what happens is when we have unhealthy emotional habits, well, then we turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms. I think for me, one of the first things that that I would say to address is your own recovery. And I can just say from my own experience, we have six children and they paid a heavy price for my husband's addiction and for my being so stuck in trauma. I am not saying that to shame myself because I do believe that I did the very best that I knew how at the time. But now I know better and now I can do better and I can see them better and meet their needs. Families can be dysfunctional in so many ways. I expected of my children what I had been taught and that's be strong, be tough, and just move on. What I came to see was that actually really, really injured my children. Working my own recovery was actually one of the best things that I ever, ever did for my children because I started to learn that my emotions were okay. So their emotions were okay. And we started to normalize things like feeling sad or angry in our home. When I started to realize that it was working was a couple of years ago. And my daughter, who would have been, oh, I would say about nine or 10 then. And she came in and she talked to me. She said she'd had a really bad day and here's what had happened. And, and I responded using my therapy tools and I normalized her emotions and I comforted her and I validated her and what she had gone through. Well, she left my room. And then a few minutes later, I get a knock on my door and there she is standing with her friend. And she said, mom, will you tell my friend the same thing that you told me? Because it just made me feel so much better. And I was like, oh, I needed to know that. I needed that validation that what I had just done with emotions was valuable. Something else that we've worked on is to make the the subject of sex to be a non-shaming subject as best we know how. I think there still carries with it this awkwardness, but we do our very best to talk about it like it's just natural, it's normal to answer questions and to talk openly. I greatly appreciate that my husband pulled aside all three of our older children and he talked to them about addiction and what kind of addiction he was going through. And um, he apologized and he told them that he'd really hurt their mom. And that really meant a lot. And it opened up the conversation for us too engage in healthy conversations about sex and intimacy and how we connect and why it's important to talk about feelings. Okay, the next question. How are my children affected by the heaviness in the marriage? What are these children experiencing because of this addiction and ripple effect? I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience. I'm not going to be sharing research and things like that. In my experience, my children suffered so much more than what I had realized. This is something I've really had to work on as a mom um, in the shame department and things like that. Like, you know, what can I do to move forward to help my children to heal? 
because they have their own recovery from their dad with addiction and from me being so just involved in trying to figure out how to help my husband and what I need to do to fix things, which of course I couldn't, but I didn't know. And it was just, I was very consumed in how to save my marriage. And they sometimes got just their emotions and things. They were neglected that way. So so part of my recovery is when they come to me and they say, this really hurt when you did this, mom. And I can say, you know, I can see that that would hurt. And I'm sorry. And your feelings are normal. And I want to do better. As your mother, I want to do better. And this seems to heal them faster than than anything. And the way I know that too is that kind of speak, that kind of behavior, owning your stuff heals me. It does something internally. And when my husband does that for me, I seem to have greater access to healing. I'll give an example of how this plays out in everyday life. The other day, I had invited my children to come watch a movie with me when they were done with their chores. I said, come sit on my bed and we'll watch a movie. And my son finished his chores and he came into my room and he said, mom, I don't want to watch a movie with you. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, you've been grouchy. And so I thanked him that he had the courage to tell me. And I owned that I had indeed been grouchy and that um, the way I had said things was a little too harsh. Softness is important to me, and I really had not honored the softness. And then I apologized, and, you know, he looked at me and he said, thank you. And so what happened was we went from him, him being silent about me being grouchy and he was withdrawn to him opening up. And I was able to make it a safe conversation. And he was able to tell me his feelings. And in the end, there was some connection between us that was really beautiful. So we're not going to do this perfectly. We are incapable of perfection. But to allow children to have emotions and feelings and experiences and their own opinions is so vital to honor that their likes and dislikes, that helps them the most with their own recovery. I can say that I think that my children experienced, um, because of the addiction and the ripple effect, you know, which was me, um, they experienced shame. They sometimes were given more responsibility than they probably should have had. Emotions were not very safe in our home at one point. And to be perfectly honest and frank, three of my children have been in therapy, while they all did have some really tremendous heartbreaks going on, such as their grandma died tragically and things like that, part of the therapy was absolutely to do with my husband's addiction and my inability to function as well as I would like. Okay, the next question. How do you recover from trauma when your husband says, we've been hacked and the dating websites and other things are the hackers. There's no closure, empathy, etc. It's been a living hell for two years. I want to start by just saying I am so sorry. People living in addiction that are so willing to cover up their their um, life, you know, their addiction to protect that addiction, that is hell. Just like you you described that is held. There's crazy making going on because that's how they're protecting it. 
in my experience, that is where the abuse comes in, is that you're living a false reality. You don't know what your reality is, and it's very hard to make good decisions when that's the case. That's so rough. In my experience, the solution for this is boundaries. That's, that's way easier said than done, but that is the solution for me. The trick is, we then surrender. We, in order to implement the boundaries in a healthy way, we surrender control. And what that means is we also surrender what they choose. For me, I had to come to decide, I am not living in hell anymore. I am not living there. This is a terrible situation, and I can't do it. And so boundaries for me became a genuine relief because I could then live in peace, relative peace at least. I'm not going to say it's easy, but because if I put in boundaries, then my husband either could respect them and choose to live in recovery or, or, or he could choose to not live in recovery, but then I could move on with my life because of boundaries. I don't want to minimize how difficult what I just said is. And I want to say that in order to implement boundaries, there was so much that had to be in place. I needed a support network. I needed to understand my value better. I needed to know my favorite color. Can you believe it? Like that had like lost me. I'd lost my sense of identity so much that I didn't really know that my favorite color was red, or at least I didn't remember that. I also needed to know what exactly my bottom lines were, just like we talked earlier. So I can't live in this kind of situation. So if this happens, then I will do this to protect myself. That makes sense. And then what happens is it takes the drama out. And at least on our part, it takes the drama out. And we're able to function from a much more peaceful place. A few episodes that I would recommend for this one would be I Am Sacred. Um, That's, I think that's episode seven. I'll put a link to it in the the sources. Episode 11 on boundaries and um, episode 13 that we just did, that I just did on surrender. Okay, last question for today. And before I read it, I just need you to know that this is from someone who struggles with addiction. And I appreciate answering this question. And I wasn't aware that people um, struggling with addiction were, were really following me. And it was fun to find that out, actually, in a few different cases. So I do appreciate that and welcome. Here's the question. I love all your posts. So encouraging. I'm a sex addict who is currently in recovery. My lowest point involved me sleeping with a very close friend of mine's boyfriend. The secret got out about three years ago. When people speak trauma, I think about not just my husband, but myself. How do you work on forgiving yourself and not beating yourself up from your own personal trauma? Hopefully that makes sense. And I just want to say that that makes total sense. That makes so much sense to me. Terrence Real said, quote, An addict needs shame like a man dying of thirst needs salt water. Close quote. And I want to pause and just say, you are not your sin. It doesn't define you. It doesn't define who you are. There are consequences. There's pain from it. But it is not your identity. You are, first and foremost, a beloved child of God. 
And I really think that's the first place that I would start is with with him. And figuring out what your relationship is with your God or your higher power. And I guess to me, God is a him, but to you, it could be something else. So I'll just say your higher power. But who are you to your higher power? Who are you? I think that one of the best ways to address this might actually be the 12 steps. In particular, step four, as you work through and you face the things that that you've done and things, and then you work on repairing them and you bring that to your higher power. And I have a friend who did this, and I very much appreciate that she said, here I was bringing all these things, all my ugly defects and things to God, and he didn't leave me. He loved me still. And I thought how powerful that was that she could share with them, this is where I failed. This is, this is where I lack. And these are my weaknesses. And God stayed for her. And I believe God would stay for you. And in my own experiences with God, he stays with me too when I come and confess and try to fix things and repair the things that I have done. This has made him incredibly safe to me. Something else that helps me quite a bit was figuring out my why. And I did something called a trauma egg. And what you do with the trauma egg is you go through and you list all of the traumas in your life. And I'm telling you, after I did that, I was so much softer and more self-compassionate towards myself and towards others. But the reason why I could be that way is I figured out my why. I can feel that you're sorry, you're repentant. You said you've been um, in recovery. That's really cool. That's all good steps. That is all wonderful. But additionally, you are a child of God. You have been through trauma. And it doesn't mean that our traumas excuse bad behavior that we might do. But what it does mean is you're human. And to move into a place of self-compassion would probably be one of the best things that you could do. I love that Brene Brown talks about when you speak to yourself, speak to yourself as if you were a friend or your child or something like that. Somebody who loves you. Somebody who, if you're like beating yourself up, what would they say? And be that person for yourself. I understand that there's likely some spouses in this audience who are thinking, self-compassion, no. Um, And I just want you to hear me say that it's not about justifying behavior. I can't make lasting changes that really mean something to me unless I first move into a place of self-compassion. These principles apply to all of us. Something else that spouses might need to hear is that when those who we love are struggling with shame, there's a difference between shame and guilt. When my husband is struggling with shame, so for for me in my own situation, there's a few different things that might happen. One, he'll be a lot more apt to self-protect, so to defend himself and to not move into that space with me. Or, Or he might be so shameful that he can't hold pain And he just looks at it like, I'm this bad person. And in those situations, he can't hold pain. So our desire is absolutely that those who have harmed us move out of a place of shame. And it's okay to feel good, healthy guilt, but shame holds holds them back. 
shame holds all of us back. I appreciate you being here and the thoughtful questions that made this Betrayal Trauma SOS Q&A possible. If any of this information might seem overwhelming, might I suggest self-care? In fact, I think I'm going to disconnect and practice self-care as well. Betrayal Trauma SOS is on Instagram, Facebook, some content is on YouTube, and I also welcome you to visit BetrayalTraumaSOS.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, would you please leave five stars and consider subscribing so that we can continue to heal together. Betrayal Trauma SOS Let's heal together.